Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome once again to the latest edition of the Grassroots Motorsports and Classic Motorsports podcast. This is the official podcast of Grassroots Motorsports Magazine and Classic Motorsports Magazine. Uh, my name is JG Pastorjack. I am the art director for both magazines. And I'm Sarah Young. I am copy and design editor for both magazines. Yes, you are. And, and Sarah, let's say I was a guy who really, really liked uh, cars and I wanted to see some of your work in print. And I should probably subscribe to that magazine, right? Absolutely. Uh, so here's the deal. Um, we have a lot of cool conversations with people throughout the course of doing our job as automotive journalists, and we really have no place to put them. Uh, but now that we have this amazing medium of the podcast, we have this repository. Uh, we, we, have, we have a place that we can share with our readers um, some of the cool stuff we do behind the scenes and how we actually put a magazine together and uh who who are we putting a magazine together with on this episode sarah who are we who are we talking to charles Espenlob. charles oh yes yes this was fun uh so charles espinlob if you do not know the name um if you are a regular reader of grassroots you will have seen um seen him in our magazine before he is a professional race car driver uh currently in uh, well, I guess it's it's IMSA now. I mean, he spent most of his time in Grand Am the last few years. Of course, that's now the uh, the Tudor Sports Car Championship. Um, but uh, Charles is unique in that he's one of the few people I've ever known who's been on fire. Uh, you ever been on fire, Sarah? Um, I'm gonna say no. Good. Uh, I feel like such a <laughs> no, it was. Well, if you if you do, he has some excellent tips for you. Uh, yeah, it was actually at the twenty five hours of uh, of Thunderhill. Um, gosh, five or six years ago, and uh, I was I was there. I was not on track when he had his incident. I was I was off sleeping somewhere and just uh, woke up from my nap and and went to to drive my next stint and then heard there was an incident and and uh, heard it was Charles and heard it was fire and that's that's one of the one of the scarier things that you can hear when when you know there's anybody involved let alone you know a a, a, a friend um so it was real Yeah, I mean, it, literally, if if you saw the story that we ran in in our magazine uh, that sort of wrapped up the whole thing, you saw a picture of the car. The, the car was destroyed. I mean, the car was literally yeah. engulfed in flames. And uh, you know, I had I had never had the chance to sort of talk to him about going through the entire incident before. So that's one of the first things we cover. And then we also cover you know a lot of other interesting stuff about the 
current state of the uh, the sports car racing scene. So uh, yeah, let's let's do it. Here is our chat with Charles Espinlob. Oh, and uh, this this took place at the press room at the Daytona International Speedway, and it was uh, during a test day. So. There, there's actually like janitors that, who come in at some point they can start taking the garbage out uh, so I, I apologize in advance for any any sort of clanging or banging that uh, that happens but uh, we, we try and we try and do this stuff wherever and whenever we can so um, apologize for any technical technical difficulty so uh, without further ado here is Charles Espinlob. We are sitting now with Charles Espinlop, who is a guy we have we have known for for a while. Currently in the in the employ of Fallline Motorsports as a as a pro driver, and and we'll, we'll get to some of the stuff you're you're doing doing these days with um, now that the Tudor Sports Car Championship. But the first thing I want to ask you about, and if you if you read our magazine before, you're familiar with the story. But Charles is one of the only guys that I know who's actually been on fire. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, it, you know, it happened at the 25 hour of of Thunderhill a few years ago. So, for those who aren't familiar with the story, walk us through what actually happened, and then we'll talk a little bit about sort of the fallout of 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 the you know what it's like after you've been on fire and have to go racing again. Right. It uh, you know, funny enough, the Thunderhill's coming up here again in a in a short little bit, and I can't believe it was uh, December of '09 when that big fire happened. Um, you know, one of those, one of those things. It's uh, I tell the story a lot, and uh, it seems to have gotten a lot of legs, and it seems to have helped racing in general, and the people become more aware of the safety part of it. You know, and it's uh, it was a life changing experience for me. I've always been one of those guys that's uh, big on safety and took the time to you know wear all the equipment, and I've been involved with some great manufacturers over the years that 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 make safety equipment and. Um, you know, I'm always the guy that's like, you know, wear, wear your right underwear under there. Don't just wear your, your jockeys there. That stuff melts when it gets hot. And, you know, how do you get out of the car? How do you, you know, where's the fire system, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, I comes back from an aviation background from when I was a kid. My dad was a, was a pilot. And, uh, you know, obviously the aviation industry is very big on safety. So, um, you know, we were, I was always aware of it, so to speak. So, you know, anyway, we're... We're coming off our overall win from 2008 there and uh, in our little MX-5 cup car. And uh, so we came back with a little bigger, batter car, with a little bit more fuel capacity. And uh, we, uh, you know, we had a little issue with, with the fuel pipe or something busted while I was driving in the car. And it had just gotten dark. And, uh, you know, it was 100-something mile an hour. And I started noticing some fumes in the car. And I called the guys and said, hey, I'm getting some fumes. And shortly thereafter, I had a little bit of an ignition and a fire inside the car, which really wasn't that big of a deal at that point. So you actually perceived flames inside the car yeah. at some point? Yeah. yeah. It, uh, you know, it flamed up. And, uh, you know, no problem. Pulled the fire system, took care of the flame, called back, said, hey, I had a fire in the car. It's out. I'm pulling off at the corner station. Um, I'll get back to you and let you know what, what's up. And uh, and that was, you were right up at the top of the hill, I think. Yeah, I think going, it's turn nine, yeah. the, the higher speed nine there. So I was slowing down for that corner station on the left there. And uh, as I kind of went to leave the track, and as I applied the brakes, the fuel must have rushed back into the car from the back, you know, we had, or the, way, the way the fuel cell was. And uh, big fire. Wow. Big fire ignition point, you know. And at that point, 
it was so bright and hot i couldn't see and i could feel the car obviously still slowing down and i you know locked the brake and i'm trying to get the belts undone doing all this stuff and i mean it was a pretty big fireball so you lost visual i couldn't keep yeah. my eyes open it was so bright um and obviously the heat was was something else the um one thing i do remember that, that i've talked to with quite a few people it was just dead silence absolute silence couldn't hear the ca- other cars going by couldn't hear anything uh at all and i guess the way it's been explained to me is that you know the fire is consuming the oxygen in the air and there's no way for the sound to travel oh, wow. through the flame so it was almost surreal there that it was so quiet that you know but once again i've been in numerous fires over over the years and most of them are uh you know the engine blows up catches on fire you get a tire fire or a brake fire or something you pull the fire system you put your finger over the nozzle in the car to hopefully get more stuff to where the fire is outside and it's never been an issue i've had a couple times maybe where my shoelaces got singed or something from the fire coming through the firewall but this was a if i don't get out i'm gonna die type situation and uh you know fortunately i knew where the window nets were and how to get out of the belts and And got out of the car were you aware at the time of, of how bad it was? Like, like, do you, were you conscious knowing that, all right, this, this is, this is not just a little engine fire. This is yeah, the real deal at this point. This is a big. Was no it was, it was a, you know, uh, I feel like I stayed pretty calm, but you know, you start panicking, and it was like one of those things. I remember thinking, I've got to get out of here now, or I'm going to die. Type thing. How long do you think it was, or do you have any data on how long it was from the time that? the shit hit the fan basically till the time you were out of the car um you know it's i think back about that in a world challenge when we were running in that series they're really good about doing an exit test every year and uh i remember peter cunningham and i would try and beat each other every year i think i had i'd got it down to where it was a little bit low five seconds to get out of the car but that's you know sitting there ready to go you know and i remember my knee was bleeding afterwards because Peter had beat me the year before, so I think I wanted to make sure I beat him. But, you know, you, they give you 15 seconds to get out, which is which is probably the longest they should let you think. Because I'm thinking, you know, the car was still rolling, so I still had to stop the car. And, uh, you know, I was I had none of the, the belts at that point and were, got out as quick as I could. And I, I bet it still took 15 to 15 seconds or so by the time, you know, the initial flame hit to the time that uh, I got out. Um, you know, and then... I'll, of course, the flame, the, the fuel had actually got on my suit on the, my right side arm and on the leg a little bit. So when I did finally emerge from the fireball, um, get out, and I remember as I got out, I was so close to the corner station that I actually ran into the tires that were surrounding the, the tire thing. And I remember, man, I hope I don't scuff my helmet. <laughs> or I didn't scuff my helmet too bad hitting those tires. And uh, then, you know, I, I knew I was on fire, so I did the stop, drop, and roll Dick Van Dyke thing, right? And rolled around, and the corner worker was there, and he's spraying the fire stuff on me. And it, uh, you know, it was it was uh, pretty good. And at that point, nothing hurt really too bad. Um, got my helmet off. I couldn't breathe very good because all the fire stuff. And obviously, I had to hold my breath while the fire was going on. So I'm catching my breath and this and that. And... You know they're look you know the corner guys are you okay and he, he went to get some water and the the ambulance guys showed up and um about that time i had taken off my gloves and you know it's it's one of those things where you and this is one of those things i like to hit home for those guys that, that don't want to want to wear all the equipment all the time like on test days oh it's just a test day i don't need to wear my my suit you know i can get away with a long sleeve shirt because that's all they require you know my argument is well the fire 
it's going to burn just as hot on test day as it is on any other day and usually you know when we're here you know on a on a, on a roller or a uh, professional uh, event we have all the corner workers we have all the fire safety we have you know the medical staff here we have a usually a helicopter on on standby so i mean if it's going to happen. This is it's much safer than on a test day where you have minimal corner workers. Sometimes you don't even have an ambulance at the track, and you don't have the professionals there that that'll treat you. So, in in my opinion, that's when you need to wear the the best equipment. So anyway, I try to wear all the best equipment all the time. Um, so as I took my gloves off, I could see my hands were burned pretty bad, but they didn't hurt, you know. And the skin was kind of like that loose chicken when you cook a chicken type thing. And I'm like, well, that's not good. And you know, they were like, oh, you, you know, are you in pain anywhere? And I remember my right leg hurt really bad, and I was really concerned at that point that my hands looked like they did, but my leg hurt that bad. So they got me in the ambulance and they cut my suit off, and it was fine. Um, and that was explained to me is like when you get a certain degree of burns, your nerves actually freak out, freak out and get done. So it didn't hurt, but that area of my leg was had got hot enough where you're, it's like telling you, hey, get out of the fire, dummy, yeah. right? Um, so that was a relief. But, um, you know, the, the suit, the gloves, everything, I had a uh, triple air suit, uh, long sleeve underwear on and everything. And then fortunately, I had all that stuff on. The scarring that I did get, the little bit of... Uh, you know, the, the healing that I had to go through was just heat transfer. It wasn't the flame actually got through the, the Nomex. Wow, and so, probably grabbing grabbing the roll grab, cage on the way out, yeah. maybe. So how is, has this approached, or how has this changed? You, you were always a very cautious driver to begin with, you know, always with the underwear, always every single piece of gear all the time. Right. But has this changed your approach to safety even after this is there anything you're doing now that you weren't doing before or does it just reinforce that what you were doing before um more more of a reinforcement you know but now i look at it in other aspects as well as as you know i'm actually looking at it from a track aspect now you know when i go to a different track i kind of look at different things now and, and where maybe danger points are or if i get into a new car that i haven't been in you know make sure the the safety gear is up to spec and you know most of the good teams they they mount stuff the right way and they they they're on top of the the safety program but there's a lot of times you know some people they just don't know or they bought a car from somebody and it was supposedly good and they've never gone through and checked to make sure that the seat belts are mounted right or that the seats actually in there in the correct way and yeah because i think you have to look at it as a holistic approach your suit and your your helmet and your ball play were all up to spec but you know the fact that the fire system in the car was also up to spec the fact that you knew enough to stop at a corner station and you knew where the corner stations were and which ones they you know the the, the corner workers had easy access to the car from um you know i think that's all important too so what what do you think the you know besides all the gear all the time which i think is a message that a lot of people are, are driving and a lot of people i mean i i still every once in a while don't don't put my underwear on right you know for for, for whatever reason but uh what what messages do you do you think are there for for the the more novice driver about about beyond the gear um well, well, just real quick to touch on that, it's one of those things that, yeah, I've on occasion, okay, I've been at a track and it's like, I'm done for the day, da, 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 oh, can you just do one more quick lap? And it's like, oh, do I want to put all that stuff back on? And I, I'm one of those guys that I've, I'm always a little bit on the extreme, so I've broken a lot of bones and I've done things that you do, I guess, that yeah. it's part of our, our sport or, you know, stuff in general that we do as guys, girls, you know. Um, so I've always been one of those ones that if I don't, 
do all the stuff right, I know I'm going to get hurt. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, I'm not one of those guys that gets lucky and oh, I'm not going to wear my helmet on the on the bike and run. Just I'm just running up the street and back, right? And that's when the deer's going to run out in front of you or something, right? So it, it, I always just think, okay, take the extra two minutes. Let's get the right gear back on and let's, let's do this the right way because at any time, you know, Murphy can strike and uh, that's when you want to be the most prepared, right? Um, but no, generally, I mean, just as a general overall note on safety, you know, and, and since that, you know, I've gotten involved with, um, you know, I had been consultant for some different safety companies at the point and some manufacturers and, uh, you know, I ended up purchasing Safecraft and, and trying to work on the seatbelt and the head net side of it. And uh, there's a big part of the industry and I think you'll, you're seeing a bigger push now, you know, as we've had some, some incidents this year and lost some great drivers, um, could have probably been prevented had we, uh, you know, had every every top dot and thing been crossed, every, yeah. you know, it's like one of those, it, it's, it, it's, it's part of the sport. It's going to happen, right? Yeah. But if we can use that safety and, uh, and it, save it, lives, it'll, it, it'll make the sport better. It, it's going to be interesting with the, I mean, the new proliferation of, of track days as, as being, you know, the, the, the fastest growing segment of autosports and far less stringent on, on safety in that environment, but car is still getting faster and faster and faster. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, sort of what steps are taken to, to ensure people's safety in those environments too. Yeah. Um, and and what? But but right now, there's nothing that says you can't wear a, a full fire suit at a track day. I mean, if you're if you're driving an Audi R8 at a track day, you're going to be going 160 miles an yeah. hour. So it, why not wear wear the gear? You know, it, nobody's not making you wear it. Yeah. So well, let's talk about your career a little bit. Um, you know, obviously now you're you're sort of competing at the highest level of sports car racing. In, in the U.S., you know, in, in, in the Tudor Championship, uh, your previous Continental Cup uh, Series champion. Um, what, I don't know much about your career early days, though. Where did you get your start in all this stuff? Uh, funny enough, you know, I uh, actually graduated from college here at Embry-Riddle, oh, cool. Daytona Beach, to be a pilot, you know. I, that was uh, kind of the goal there. Um, you know, I'd always loved cars and racing, and my dad had worked for Porsche and Mercedes back in when, before he came from Germany, and uh, he was in aviation. My family background is aviation, so they were always the aviation thing, and then racing was kind of his secondary love, right? And it kind of became more like racing became my primary love, and aviation was my secondary, you know, it wasn't, I like it, it was, it's neat, it's just not what I had, what I had passion for, right? So I, you know, I, after I got out of college, I was going to either go fly helicopters, which I had a little bit of time in, and that was a, a good thing to do, or join the Army was the only way I could afford to do that, to get the time and et cetera. And, uh, you know, I got to thinking, okay, so I do that. What, I'm, what kind of job am I going when I get out of the Army? Yeah. So I had a uh, friend that was in the Sheriff's Department, so I talked to them, and they were like, oh, well, you could do this and this, and but you got to be on the street for two years. And I'm like, oh, I don't think I can do that. You know, I don't know. And they're like, oh, go on a ride-along. So I went on a ride-along with some guys, and I'm like, yeah, I could, you know, drive a patrol car for two years and then qualify for the flight stuff. And, and this was over in Tampa? Or? Yeah, in Tampa. Oh, wow. So, you know, I pursued some different stuff. I had a friend, she was in MetaFlight, so talked to them, maybe getting a job there. And then, of course, there's always the Bay News 9 and that kind of stuff, right? Like helicopters. So I'm thinking, okay. Well, one of my dad's um, friends was Dave White. Okay. Who has a very big history in, in racing in Florida, or, you know, 
IMSA champion, I think, in 74. And uh, him and my dad, you know, prepped some cars for Daytona and Sebring back in the day, and he stayed with it and uh, made a successful shop over there. And, uh, so I went and talked to him. I said, what do what I got to do to get into racing? He was like, oh, you know, I got to do this, and it's there. It's not really this. Or, you know, you kind of needed to go get the experience and yada, yada, yada. Well, I had a good mechanical background, and this was right before the Sebring 12-hour. And he's like, you know, I... And this would have been what? So this 95, is... 95, I think. Okay. Um, so he's... Uh, he said, well, come help us out. You know, I got to get some cars ready, yada, yada, yada. So sure enough, I'm down at his shop every night till 2 in the morning helping the guys prep cars for the for the 12-hour. And uh, we go to Sebring, and we're doing all this stuff. And into the 12-hour, I'm standing there in pit lane, and it's like, wow, that was pretty cool, you know. And I don't know, I busted tires and just schlep stuff around and fix like the little con or the little firehawk car that we were running that kind of stuff i would you know i didn't have that much important position but there's han stuck standing there on the pit wall and i'm standing next to him and looking at him I'm like wow that's han stuck you know this is kind of cool i said well maybe i should try and pursue this so i ended up working for dave as a mechanic uh had a bunch of hsr cars etc etc and um so the plan was well you got to go to a driver's school it's like okay well that's three thousand something dollars i'll start saving for that so i'm working for him planning on that's going to take me a while to save up that much money but that's be the first step so we go to road atlanta for an hsr event and the road atlanta driver school has a raffle going on for their driver school (laughs) so i'm taking tires up to get some tires changed and i stop by and talk to them and they're like oh yeah fill out the thing for a raffle you may win a school so i'm like yeah okay and i've never won anything in my life ever like no kind of raffles never no lottery obviously or anything like that fill it out throw it in the fish tank Three days later, I get this letter in the mail. You've won a two-day school at Road Atlanta or whatever. So that put me a little bit better on the thing. Uh, you know, after going through the school and, uh, you know, uh, had some great instructors, Chris Hall, Bill Barfield, uh, Robbie Groff, and, uh, you know, they were like, yeah, hey, you're pretty decent. You, sh- you know, you should kind of pursue it a little bit. So I stayed with it and uh, did the HSR school that year and another lapping day and then qualified for my IMSA license and then... Um, saved up some money and then i had a 944 porsche that i had fixed up so i sold that bought my gear and then started calling around and i found a ride with uh protomotive which is jim jordan okay who at the time was a district manager for mazda and uh him and his brother were running a two-car miata team in the fire you know they called it the imps endurance challenge back then so my first race was actually the six-hour IMSA Endurance Challenge in March of 96. Very cool. So you you never really had a, a club racing period then, did you? No, I never did the, the you know any regional-type SCCA or anything. Wow. I kind of... Uh, goal, my goal for 95 was to get the three races three that I schools, needed to do to yeah. get my, my provisional license right. removed. So I, I did Sebring. We did okay. We had a little bit of problems. And then we, I did Atlanta with him. And then I did the 24-hour at... Uh, most sport with them that year so i got a great amount of seat time there our car broke a lot and all the other drivers left and i stayed and helped weld the car back together and do some stuff so i ended up getting buku time in the car which was great and then uh, after that year we uh worked out a deal the next year i took care of the truck and the trailer and stored the stuff at my house and prepped the cars for the next weekend and and basically traded that for a ride for for uh 97 and then uh you know we won rookie of the year that year and obviously a great relationship with Jim as he moved up with Mazda yeah. and that, that became my relationship with Mazda and uh, 
you know, it was basically in what back then was turned into a Spec Miata. We were running basically the same shock package that, that Spec Miata turned into later on. And uh, that's why I was teasing, you know, the ladder program. I was kind of the... the you were the prototype I, I for the... I was the prototype. The whole, yeah, you were the, the stunt man, yeah, the test pilot like, for that. So, and then, you know, that relationship just, just turned into, into a really good one with Mazda for the many years. World Challenge, you know, back with Jim again at Protomotive. And then, you know, we moved on with Tindo. And then I did some... Uh, Firehawk stuff and you know Imps Endurance Challenge with uh, Joe Kent and Firebird and it just it just I, I never was very good at, at like securing a huge sponsor or anything but I was able to develop a lot of good relationships good and meet a lot of people and, and just always was able to to, to stay in it and uh, I'm always I look at it as as you know we were talking the other day I said if if I never drove another day I'd be sad but I'd be very happy that yeah. I got to do what I did it's been a good run you know and it, it I got to do a lot of things that I don't think just a mechanic from Tampa would be able to do. Yeah. Right. Well, so you, you have kind of an interesting perspective then on on road racing, never having really been in in the 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 club scene, but but having been basically at at every step along the way mm -hmm. of of the pro ladder, you know, up to up to now the the premier sports car series in the U.S. So what are what's the what's the big jump between between each level? How I mean, I think I think ultimately all racing, all sports car racing, is club racing, just on a on a grander and grander scale, you know, and with more exclusive clubs basically. But what's what's the big step between each level from a from a driver's perspective or or just from a competition perspective? Um, you know, honestly, I think it, you're right. I think it's just different levels of the same stuff, right? So I mean, I go back. I do the 13-hour VIR. You know, I, I enjoy going and running a spec Miata or a B-spec car. Even as you know, they're, they're they can be a blast to, to drive, and it's uh, it's a it's a it it comes down to like a commitment thing. Obviously, the level at, at this it's much more intense, and you have to be on the game 110% of the time, or you're not going to be in the game, so to speak. Whereas in club racing, I, there's still that level of competition, but it's not quite as sharp, I would say, right? Um, the, the, I think the racing in club level is as good or better in some instances. Um, but it's um, there's just not as many teams. Right. And, and again, I mean, that's one thing we may never know. I mean, the, the, the best race car driver in America may be driving an ITC car in, in Kansas somewhere, but unless he unless he, he produces the funds to make the jump, you know we're, we're never going to really really know about that. So I, I guess that brings me to the next question: How have you had to develop your skills outside of the cockpit? I mean, at, at each successive level, I would think it, the demands on you, not just as a driver, but as as a personality, as a, as a team member, sort of change and, and become different. How do you how do you see that aspect of it changing? Um, I'm probably not a good example of that. <laughs> Because I've been more, you know, the guy that uh, I've never been with a big sponsor, or I haven't had a, a, a partner in that aspect. Where I think that's an important part nowadays for for these younger kids coming up, you know. And uh, you know, I'm a judge. You've been a judge before at the at the monster shootout. We just got through doing one, and uh, the proposals and stuff these kids are putting together, it's amazing. You know, it's like there's just I can remember when I was 18, I would never be able to. to to put something together and and pursue it so i think the the landscape of the sport itself is changing and, and it's not so much you know like there's a great guy that drives an itc right now that could probably come in here and and have this driving skills to do it but does he have the the ability to 
to smile when he needs to and, and control what he needs to say and, and make the relationships that he needs to, to do it financially because obviously the financial landscape has changed drastically in the last 10, 15 years. Um, you know, the cost of this, it's escalated quite a bit. So it's important. You know, you have to have, you have to be more well-rounded. I, I think it, honestly, if I came in to the sport right now where I came into it in 1995, I don't think I could make it the way that I did it. You know, I think the timing was right. Um, you know, and I'm just not that outgoing of a guy where I'm going to go up and ask 20 different companies, hey, I need a million dollars to go do this over here. But, but you've, you you found a way to make it work, right. though. No, I mean, you you're, you 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 can't you, you can't get away with being an introvert in this sport right. unless your last name is Stuck or right. McNish or something. And then even then, it's probably not not that easy. Uh, but uh, so you've been a professional race car driver as far as paying the mortgage and putting food on the table since 1995 or six then um, or well I, I mean it's, it's, I don't know how you want to define a professional have I been racing since 1995 and had to spend you know very little money or no outlay on my own yes um, well you're also well, the thing most people probably don't know is you're also a, a boat captain yeah yeah so uh, I mean that's not anything that we make money at but it was it's a you know, been a boat captain, I think, since 2000, my buddy and I started Action Fishing Charters, and that's more of a thing that when I retire from racing, I can say, hey, look, I've been a captain for 25 years. <laughs> I obviously know how to fish, right? But um, You can buy fish, you know. Yeah, I know. They're delicious. It's pretty yeah. fun to go fishing, though. Actually, <laughs> looking forward to going this weekend. But, um, yeah, it's it's a, uh, it's a it's a tough, tough one, right? So... I've, I've had I have some friends in, in 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 the industry obviously and sometimes one of them in particular a few years ago got a little down he was like I don't understand you know this I can't get a ride here and I'm not getting paid as much as X Y Z guy and this and that and I'm like why are you worried about that what are you doing I mean you're you're driving a race car you're yeah. getting paid to drive a race car I said if you're not happy with what you're getting paid think about it like this I said think about how much money it would have cost you to pay for all the drives that you've driven in your, you know, 10 years of racing. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, you go do Daytona 24 hour, it costs you a hundred grand to go rent a seat, right? And so how many of those have you done? I'm gonna add it up. I said, it's millions of dollars that you've gotten to do, right? Yeah. And I mean, if you, I consider that, to, when I go back and figure that out, I think I'm doing pretty doggone well, right? I mean, I've, I've gotten to drive some really cool cars at some really cool tracks at some really good races against some really great people and I have some really great memories and it would cost millions and millions of dollars to duplicate that. So I, I consider myself pretty well off in that aspect. Right. Okay, so the, we'll finish things off here then with, uh, I, I think you are doing pretty well, but this year you're in in the Audi R8, so having moved there from uh, from another German manufacturer. Um, what, what's your assessment? Where do you think uh, those cars are for this year? And 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 give us your assessment of, of this being sort of the first where we're, we're we're sitting down with you at the first winter test sessions mm -hmm. in Daytona. And it's sort of the second uh, unified test session for the new Tudor Sports Car Championship. Um, success, failure, somewhere in between, developing story. How do you see this this new world of sports car racing shaking out, and how do you think your future is going to shake out in this in these, in these Audis? I think uh, developing it's it's going to be a success. I think I like what what I've seen as far as as how they're trying to to change the rules and and take both aspects of the old series and combine it into a better thing. And I mean, there's 
you're never going to make all the people happy all the no. time. And there's some things they're doing that I don't agree with. And there's some things they're doing that I think is really great. And um, I think uh, I don't want their jobs, <laughs> but I think uh, I think it's a it's a positive move forward. And I think what they're trying to do is is make it better. And and that's what I want to see, right? Because this is a sport that I love, and I want it to be better. So. I'm, I'm hoping that they're going in that direction and, and uh, you know we, we with Audi coming in and this I worked a little bit with Fall Line last year when we had the Audi so I, I've, I've gotten a little bit of insight into what their program is and they're uh, they're opening their arms up and they're they're pursuing this and they want to win and they want to be considered a, a, an alternative to some of the other makes as far as a customer program so and, I, and they're learning I, they're, they're definitely learning and we're learning and everybody's learning about it and um the car's great. The uh, the support they're giving us is, is really cool, and uh, meeting a lot of new new friends from Germany there. And I'm trying to brush back up on my German, and uh, it's uh, it's going to be a great year. It's going to be, I think, one of the most competitive years because you have a lot of teams that are going to be 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 gunning for it from all over the world, from all over the world, and yeah. you're going to have some some really great drivers, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I. I expect to get my butt kicked and I hope to kick some butt and uh, you know that's what racing's all about right I don't want to nobody really I don't think wants to just go win by a long shot I think everybody I, I appreciate more you know, spec me out a race if the racing's good than I do if I just you know uh, dominated in, in another type of car Fun or something pushed a little bit yeah I mean that's, I'm here for the racing right, right? I, that's that's the, the chess game for me is, is what it's all about so I'm really excited for next year and uh, see where this relationship develops well, anything still on your racing bucket list after this after um, you know it's there's there's a uh, Prior to this year, you know, Charlie and I went over to Europe and we did some Blanc Pond races and uh, ADAG GT and stuff and got to drive at Monza and Spa and Silverstone and the Nürburgring and then the Nordschleife. We did a VLN race there and uh, I can tell you that uh, that was it was an incredible year and I couldn't imagine it could get any better than that. And then every year it always does. It always does. So I think next year maybe we'll we'll hopefully go back and do some more of that. I really want to go back to the Nordschleife and and uh, it's a very challenging track. It wasn't one of those ones that I could learn in two or three laps like normal. It was it takes it takes a while, right? So I'm still looking at my in-car video and every couple days so I can be prepared for when we go back next year. So bucket list wise, I, w I want to race at the Nordschleife quite a bit more and uh, I'd like to race at some other tracks in Europe again because uh, it's a great experience over there and um, I look forward to that so bucket list wise yeah I'd like to like to cool. well I, I would imagine with some of the relationships you are forging you will get the chance Charles Espelop thanks uh, very much for sitting down with us we appreciate it man hey, thank you All right, so that was our chat with Charles Espenlob, uh, and hopefully anybody who was thinking about going out and setting themselves on fire uh, has a different idea of, of doing that now. And, and it, you know, uh, hopefully hopefully everybody, and I think this is Charles's message, is, you know, safety in a race car is a, is a very serious thing. Well, you know, I think that's the next step. When you think about how how fast cars are getting these days, and 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 the fact, I mean, if you if if you go buy a Corvette off the showroom floor and take it to a track day, uh, you know, at most most any track in the country, you're going to be going 130, 140, 150 miles an hour in a street car, um, and 
Is that streetcar likely to catch on fire if you get into an incident? Yeah, probably not, but at the same time, uh, maybe it's not a bad idea to start start thinking in a in a safer way, even when it comes to comes to streetcars in a track environment. Track days are getting so popular now that uh, I, I think we're going to have to start thinking about about that type of safety more and more. Yeah, um, so the Mazda Shootout is a program that, that Mazda uses to find up-and-coming race car driver talent. And they have they have a ladder system, basically, that, that uh, drivers can come in and sort of sort of climb this ladder of more and more visible series. Uh, so if, if, you, if you say win the, uh, the SCCA Spec Miata National Championship or the NASA Spec Miata National Championship... Um, you are eligible to get a uh, scholarship, essentially, from Mazda, where they will pay for your next season of racing in a in a higher level of of, of racing. Uh, in in, the, in in that case, if you let's say if you if you win the uh, SCCA, the Amateur Spec Miata Championship, you're eligible for a um, a season in the the Pro Spec Miata Championship, which is the Playboy MX5 Cup. Basically, and Mazda will heavily subsidize that for you. If you win that, if you win that, you're eligible for another level of racing in you know a, a more visible uh, venue. And and they have that sort of on the on the open wheel side and on the closed wheel side. So what Charles does, <clears throat> what, uh, what he does, he's one of the judges for for that, where they they bring in these young racers who are competing in these series. And they give them a little bit of driver coaching, you know, a little, a little bit of, uh, of, of, of track advice. But what they do a lot of is they sort of coach them on the, on the business side of racing. And they, they assess their, you know, race cars run on money. It, it's that simple. And, and if, you, if you cannot get funding, um, you're, you're not going to get funding on talent alone. So, what what uh, the, these coaches do in this in this this Mazda talent search is uh, they they really sort of help evaluate these 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 young racers and um, and give them some guidance not only on the track but but how to make their racing careers work you know from a financial end as well. Yeah, and he and he's you know he, and he's fast and he's he's a, a nice fun guy to talk to. I mean, you know, usually you 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 meet you meet you meet these racers and and a, to be a good racer these days, you have to be a good salesman as well because, like I said, you have to fund your racing effort. And he has been so lucky and and put himself in such good positions. And I think by being a very nice, very genuine guy, that that certainly helped him out and being a very talented guy behind the wheel. Yeah, I mean, so he he's really put himself in great positions, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely got uh, maybe a little bit too much humility at times um, for for his level of, of ability. But um, fun guy, fun guy to talk to. Uh, so if you if you want to know more about the sports car scene um, or about um, uh, the stuff we're talking about on this podcast, you should probably subscribe to Grassroots Motorsports Magazine or Classic Motorsports Magazine if you don't already. Hopefully you do already. If not, we're not going to hold it against you. In fact, we're going to give you an amazing, an amazing bargain. Yeah, 
deal. Um, head to classicmotorsports.net slash discount for the Classic Motorsports discount. And head to grassrootsmotorsports.com slash discount for a year discount. And that will get you, uh, yeah, like Sarah said, 20% uh, or so off. I, we, we haven't done the exact math, but it's a really, really good deal. It's like five or six bucks off a grassroots sub. And we're, 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 we're in the art department. We're, 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 we do way bigger issue stuff than that. Uh, all right, so that is the latest edition of the Grassroots Motorsports and Classic Motorsports podcast. Once again, I am JG Pathjack. And we will see you next time. Thank you very much for listening.